Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everyone. Welcome to a very special Everything Iconic. It's like an Everything Iconic book club. And I'm here with the one and only Greggy Bennett. And we are going to discuss the one and only Mariah Carey. Greggy. The book of our time. The book of our generation. Hi, Danny. What? The 2020 Bible, if you will. <laughs> Essentially, it's replaced the Bible on my nightstand, for sure. <laughs> Did you ever, have you ever lived a life where you had a Bible on your nightstand? I don't know. I, I went to Catholic school and I went to Catholic college, like from the beginning until the very end. And oh, um, I don't think I've ever kept a Bible anywhere nearby. Right. Um, until now. Greggy, how, <laughs> how did you, how did you like, it? we're both lambs. And so I was, first of all, so excited to have you on anytime we get to talk about Mariah Carey. Um, how did you like it? Just sort of overall thoughts before we dive in. Uh, I was surprised. I was surprised at how honest and vulnerable she was. I thought it was a really, really great read. Um, I think that the audiobook will change the way we we consume celebrity memoirs. I mean, she really went all in. The music, the singing, like the ad-libbing of all of it was incredible. And it really felt like she uh, took this seriously, if that makes sense. Sometimes, I, like you can tell when her heart's not in something and she really, really wanted this to be done right. And I think she did a great job. Yeah, I was so impressed too. I, I felt like, I don't want to say I had low expectations, but I, I was just sort of thinking, you know, some celebrity memoirs are really great. And then there's others that are just clearly like a cash grab. They feel like it's time to release a celebrity memoir. And I didn't know what to expect exactly. I thought if she did, if she was doing a cash grab, I thought great for her, like get the money, get your coins and, totally. and, and that'd be fine too. But then this, I felt like was really, um, there was a lot of substance to it and a lot of things I didn't know. Some things, of course, we all speculated for years that were confirmed. Right, right. There was definitely that. I, I think as a like a diehard fan, her confirming like who some of the songs were about, down to like who the verses were about, was big for me because I've like forever been like, that's definitely about Allison right there. And like I was wrong. I was wrong. It was actually about Pat. So right. um it's pretty crazy that she was that uh open and and forthcoming with those details. Did you notice uh, right off the bat, I have to say, did you notice on page 234, there's a paragraph that appears twice? You saw that, right? Um, let me check. Let me check. Let me let's, check. Um, let's get our books for this book club. <laughs> Everyone who's listening, go grab your book. I, I just grabbed it off my shelf. 234, you said? And I should also mention, anyone who's listening to this podcast, you can view it on the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino one. We're going to put it up there. Um, but yeah, on page 234, there's a paragraph that appears later on on page 274. About yes. glitter. Yes, I do remember seeing the same thing twice, um, but I, ha I don't remember. So while I think that this book was fantastic and nearly flawless, I do. <laughs> and in some ways, I think it was great that that paragraph appeared twice, but I thought that was one little oversight that 
I was curious about. Yeah, well, I think it was also like applicable to both chapters. So why not copy and paste? Like, right. work smarter, not harder. Also, as someone who ghostwrites books and it's books are a lot of words. You have to fill up a lot of pages. Yeah. So you know what? If you got to publish something twice, go for it. Books are hard. Words are hard. Words are hard. So, Greggy, I want to start by talking about her family. We learned a lot about uh, her sister, Allison, her mom, Pat, her brother. Uh, early on, she talks about how her sister mistreated her. And that was the stuff to me that was sort of most unexpected because we haven't heard her speak about her childhood very often outside of her music and her lyrics. And so that was, to me, the most surprising. I didn't know. I just didn't know a whole lot about her relationship with her sister. I knew a little bit about her relationship with the mom. Um, but Allison was surprising to me. Uh, what did you make about the way Allison treated her? There was an allegation about um, Allison trying to basically like drug her up and sort of pimp her out at one point. Like there was a lot of heavy stuff. Yeah. Um, well, so I've always, uh, over the years, there have been multiple like interviews that Allison's done. Um, I mean, she references a lot of it in the book is them selling uh, any, the, selling her out for any like cheesy publication or, or interview. Um, so it's always only been Allison's side of the story, right? She's never really given any oxygen to any of those stories. And they usually disappear um, as quickly as they they would come out. But I'm glad she was able to to set the record straight. I feel like it was like a, it, the whole thing was very healing for her to like put down on paper and finally have her side of the story told in a definitive way. Uh, she she's um I, I think the whole book has been about her telling her side of the story finally. Um, and I think that she has always um, been like mocked or kind of t- like seen as this kind of hokey jokey figure. Uh, people don't seem to take her very seriously. So I'm glad that she really focused on, on telling these, the, the talking about the experiences that really made her who she is. So oh, yeah. I think it was important for her to include all of the stuff about Allison because it was, it was, formative for her. And I think that it contributes to a lot of her uh, insecurities that she's felt over the years. I like that you mentioned Allison and the family sort of selling stories. There's one point in the book where she says her family looks at her like an ATM with a wig on. (laughs) That's the line she's, which is a great line. Uh, But I feel like now in 2020, that's not a thing. Like, and she was even talking about it. She did a great interview with Oprah where they were talking about family and kind of using them for money and, and stuff like that. And I don't know if it was that interview or somewhere else where she mentioned that that's not really a thing anymore because there's so many blogs, there's so much social media, it's so easy to kind of shut down a story right away. But back in the 90s, uh, you know, family members and stuff could go to the National Enquirer or to these places and sell something for a few thousand dollars or more. Some nonsense. Yeah. And you forget that she has been famous for so long that like at the beginning of her career, that was the only like form of that was the only way that people could control their image through like a very calculated, like publicist, uh, yeah, record label, the, the whole machine behind you and trying to shape the narrative around your career or around like a bad, uh, a bad story in the press was a lot harder than it is today. So it's uh, it's almost fascinating to remember that that she's she came up at a time where like it was 1990, so it was really not that far away from like the 80s and like Bette Midler hosting the VMAs. Like that was all like within a few years of her 
coming onto the scene and now she's still like as relevant as she was then today, which is pretty incredible. Wait, Greggy, take me back. So in, in 1990, were you into her right away? Did you, did it no. take you a little while? Like, no, was... I, was, <laughs> I was four in 1995. Um, I got into her initially because I heard around the music box era, heard her on Magic 98.3, which is the Central Jersey's uh, smooth, easy listening station. And I remember it. I remember on the way to the Jersey Shore and Hero played on the radio. My mom was like, that's Mariah Carey. And I was like, oh, I'm into that. I'm like very, I, I had only listened to like Disney soundtracks up until then I was young. And then I had a babysitter who loved her, who would bring her um, cassettes over. And so that was really what kicked it off. But uh, I was probably like eight or nine, I want to say. Yeah. You know, my mom always liked the divas, so she always would have the cassettes of, she had Gloria Estefan, Whitney Houston, Celine Dion, Mariah. And I remember when that first Mariah album came out, like, she just always had the cassette in the car uh, or playing in the house. And um, I, I just attribute my mom making me gay because it was like she my dad always like kind of like the oldies like he liked motown and and that kind of stuff and but my mom like she just loved the divas she would always have barbara or mariah or someone playing um, celine celine was big in our car <gasps> reggie let's talk about the celine i know we're jumping around a bit but can we talk about the celine of it all okay so uh, let me just explain. chapter about divas live is like Crazy. Oh Greggy, I wanted so much more from that <laughs> Divas Live. I want a whole fucking book about Divas Live 1998. Like, I need a whole... Same! I want a miniseries produced by Ryan why ha- I want all of it. Why hasn't it happened yet? I feel like there needs to be more content. I know there was a, a while back, maybe a couple years ago, they did like an oral history someone did of the Divas Live, and it was... I ate that shit up. It was oh. like a, a website did it. But so in the Love book, it. she she talks about this Divas Live moment. So in 1998, there was, of course, this iconic concert for VH1. They had all the Divas. They had Aretha, uh, Gloria, Shania, Celine, Mariah, and featuring Carol King. I didn't miss anyone, did I? Uh, no, you got Carol. I know it like the back of my Everybody. hand. Oh, the best. Iconic. Um, and at the very end, there was supposed to be this medley, uh, or not a medley, there was supposed to be a group song of uh, Natural Woman. And first of all, Aretha decided she didn't want to rehearse because of the air conditioning being on, which that <laughs> they're playing games, they're playing they're, games, they're playing game, which that was a story too, that I feel like we've heard, but it was just nice to kind of get more confirmation that this thing happened. hundred percent. I mean, do like, you remember the pop-up video episode of Diva's Live, right? Like where they were Never like, forget. Mariah changed her nail polish between each number and she wasn't going to sing in the closing number until she saw Aretha walking to the stage. Like I remember all those back to it. So I feel like I'm like a historian on the whole thing, but I loved getting a firsthand account from her as what happened on that stage. We were so lucky to be raised amongst the era of pop-up video and like all those pop culture shows that just presented us all that wonderful information. Um, Bring it back. Bring it back. So then there was a story about uh, Celine um, during that end performance of Natural Woman where Celine starts doing these runs and Mariah in the book says she sort of, uh, I don't know (laughs) what the wording she uses, but she said she sort of went to the background because she even realized like in the moment, this is not something you do. This is Aretha song. And yep. uh, by the way, we both love Celine. So like, you know, we love, and I don't, and I don't think there's, there was, there's a bone in Celine's body where she was like, I'm going to show up Aretha Franklin right now. She, I, I guarantee you, she was like, this is a fun celebration. And like, everyone will just sing. And like, there's no way that she thought Aretha would take offense to that. Um, but it's, that's just her way. I guess, yeah. Right? And it was just, those were the moments. Like I, I love all the deep family stuff, but I did 
just get so much joy hearing her talk about these other people that we know in pop culture and just her relationship to them. And that was a particular instance that I just, the saliva coming out of my mouth when I was reading that chapter. <laughs> just like I, I know I wanted the whole, I wanted it to be a hundred pages long. Right. Uh, okay. So I want to talk about, we're going back a little bit. Uh, the Tommy Matola years, right. which were a tough time for us all, really. <laughs> Locked away. Locked away. Locked away in Sing Sing. Sing Sing, that compound that she lived in with Tommy Matola and her husband. I was going to make my Zoom background a picture of Sing Sing burning to the ground, but I couldn't <laughs> find a clear enough one. <laughs> There's like aerial shots of it. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she lived in this compound with this with the husband. You know, I always sort of thought that maybe there was more of a romantic connection between her and Tommy than like we we knew, but it turns out I don't think there was anything. Like nope, li- there was li- nothing there. Not even the slightest of sparks between them. Nope. It felt like, right? Nope. I can't imagine that he did anything for her in that respect. Like she did not feel. I think it was more of like a fatherly, like protectors, Bengali situation than it was ever a romantic one. Did you feel like she was easier at her on him in the book than you would have imagined? Because I did. I did. Yes, I think that she. I think she went easy on him and Jennifer uh, during the the firecracker chapter. I think she went easy on him in the way that he's the exchanges that they had. Like you could tell by her impersonations of him that there were longer rants that she could probably have recited from memory. But she, I think she did a it was diplomatic enough while still going pretty hard. Yeah. You mentioned the Jennifer thing. So uh, that Jennifer sample, I mean, there's a paragraph. She should be, she should be in jail is where she should be. (laughs) Where do you stand on JLo? I always get shit. If I talk any shit about JLo. I know people love her. I mean, I've, well, listen, the, the real lambs have known for many years that, that this caper took place, that this theft, um, and hearing the original version of fire thievery, of, of thievery, thievery, like the, the hearing the original version of lover boy on the rarities, which if you haven't listened, you should stream it ASAP. Uh, I got upset because I'm like, there's no way I would not have come out of the closet. If this song had come out when I was a sophomore in high school, it's so gay and fun. And it would have been like the hit of the summer. And I feel bad that, um, we're not living in that alternate timeline where it was released and maybe it wouldn't have been such a disaster the whole era, but who knows? You know, I love a lot of JLo's stuff. And so this isn't meant to be shade towards her, but I do always think like, if you look at a lot of her hits and her catalog, there's just these consistencies of, I don't want to say like Christina Milian on play and, and Ashanti mm-hmm. and, there's just these instances, and I always wonder, I would love to hear like Ashanti or Christina Milian discuss it more, because maybe there's like something we're missing from the business side of things. Um, but I always, I find it fascinating. I know, it's crazy. And it, what's interesting is that for the emancipation era, she didn't talk about this in the book, she really didn't go into depth on any of the like behind the scenes people, which I was kind of excited and hoping she would do. Um, like she hired Benny Medina as her manager, who was up until that point, JLo's manager, right? And he orchestrated the whole rollout for um, for emancipation with this woman, Marvette Brito. But they, like, he really threw all of his weight behind her. And then in the 
like a few years later, it went back to Jennifer. So um, it's interesting to see how over the years they've kind of done like this in certain um, aspects of their careers. And it also makes the industry feel just much smaller than it does otherwise. It's like, oh, these people uh, all do 100%. use the same people. And yeah, uh, you know, you mentioned e equals MC squared and uh, or in the emancipation era. And in terms of the Tommy Mustola stuff, it was interesting to me how like she was still writing about that time in her life with songs like side effects and, and other things in later albums, which were, were, when you think about it, were you know, 15 years later after the Tommy years, she's still writing about that experience. And so beautifully too. Yeah. And what I love, and it's almost, she kind of, I've always thought this, but she kind of confirmed it for me in the book was that it's like, she stubbed her toe 20 years ago and can still write a song about exactly how it felt. Um, for her to talk, I mean, Subtle Invitation is a song on the Charm Bracelet album, but I feel like that, or no, it was um, Lullaby is the song on the Charm Bracelet album that is like the sequel to The Roof. And that's, but she didn't, she didn't bring that up, but you can tell that it's like a a callback to that song and it's still about Derek or DJ, if we're calling him that. So I think- Derek Jeter. DJ, that, that however long that relationship was, has really sustained uh, her and her songwriting for so long, which is great for us as fans. But um, I, I wonder what, what he thinks of all of that. I know. Greggy, I thought Derek G- the Derek Jeter of it all, I really thought that, you know, maybe she wrote a song about him. Of course, people always speculate about the roof. But, but to know how much he affected her in so many different ways. That like, whole album. The, the whole, whole album. Butterfly album. Like, it was her, shot. Her best phase. album ever. So yeah. Like, thank you, Derek. Ma- magnum opus. Yeah, I was so happy about Derek. I was like, oh, my God. And also, she had just glowing things to say about him, not only in the book, but also in, like, her press tour and stuff. Like, she was talking about uh, how much respect she had for him and his family. And I just liked that. It made me happy to know that despite most men being trash, he wasn't. <laughs> well, he wasn't. And also he seemed to be the only, the first like positive male relationship that she had. And I don't want to say in her life, but like, I mean, there was Henry who cheered out of his, his truck window when he heard vision of love on the radio, but <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I loved picturing that for some reason. Um, I just think that like she went from being in the shack, right. And uh, just like fight or flight to then being like a prisoner locked away in Sing Sing. And then that was her first taste of like being a, a girl who like met a boy that liked her and was nice to her and was probably just as famous as she was at that point, but um, in a different, in different circles. So it was nice to, to, to hear her tell the story of like being courted and like having those, those butterflies in her stomach for the first time. What do you make of her, uh, her relationship with men in the business or in the industry that she worked with? I know at one point in the book, she talks about how she had a no, uh, no dating policy, I believe with other musicians she worked with. Um, and she's, Rappers. Uh, yeah. was it Rappers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, especially in the nineties, if she was dating one of the, a rapper that she worked with, um, it would have come out, but we never heard those stories. And I wonder, um, I guess I'm thinking about it now. It's like her relationship as a kid with men seemed to have manifested itself as an adult in these working relationships in a lot of ways. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. I think it was, it was interesting to to hear her talk about her relationship with JD, right? Because he's been a collaborator with her for so long and like 
they almost seem like brother and sister, but she seems to have always, she's always quick to put her male like collaborators in that, that friend zone or that like brotherly box so that she doesn't open herself up to any, um, I guess, liability, which is, which is smart. She's a, she's a true professional. You know, uh, the Derek Jeter stuff, she was talking about how her assistant helped keep the secret. And I was just thinking the secrets that assistant must have. I mean, there's must be so many things. Right. Who was it? Was who was the assistant? <laughs> That's what right. I want to know. Right. At that point. Okay. We got to talk about the glitter era. So, you know, there were claims, of course, of Tommy Mottola really sabotaging the glitter era. We mentioned with the lover boy, um, he quickly... Uh, put JLo on a sample that Mariah had been using. And it really is what drove her to this really a breaking point. And she mentions TRL, which was another moment that we as fans grew up with kind of, it was an infamous moment that I, I don't think we had a lot of context to for so many years. And I found it fascinating when she talked about Carson Daly and how he was aware of the stunt. Uh, but of course it was live TV and he sort of just had to, he was, improvising a little bit and making it seem like a bigger thing than she thought it should have been. Yeah. Like if you think about that time, like I remember it vividly and I remember how big of a deal it was that she did that. And if you think, if you compare it to the stunts and the shenanigans that the kids these days do on the regular, like, right. like they just, like, they have OnlyFans now for them. Like what did that girl, Bella Thorne, she has her own OnlyFans. Girl. Like, Nope, there's no... <laughs> Dorinda Medley has her OnlyFans, too. <laughs> true, true. There's no rules anymore. There's truly no rules. And for them to make this big deal over her wearing, like, a giant oversized T-shirt and then taking it off and revealing, like, shorts and a tank top was, was wild. And it's even more crazy to think about looking back on it. Yeah, I know the press cycle of that whole thing was insanity. And I, we, I mentioned those VH1 shows, like, Behind the Music and... and I love the nineties and stuff. And I just remember growing up, they always would refer back to that ice cream truck moment or that ice cream cart moment. And yeah, when you really break it down, it's like, what the fuck big deal was it? Like it wasn't a big deal. I know. And I was actually during that time, I was so pissed because the week before (laughs) she went on TRL with the, with the ice cream cart, she was there for a scheduled appearance to promote glitter. And I was in the audience and I requested a video in the little box in the, in the bottom left-hand corner. And like, there's no trace of it anywhere on the internet because a week later she went on and they made such a big deal over this, that that's the only one anybody remembers. So what song did you um, request? Uh, Blink-182, The Rock Show. They told oh, me. Oh, they made you do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They told me what to say. At the end I go, I love you, Mariah. I love you so much. And then I'm like, dance <laughs> Oh, man. I was surprised she didn't talk about the TRL Cribs moment, because I feel like that really was uh, also important. I mean, there were so many moments in her career. How can she break them all down? I know, but that was a pretty big one. Cribs is, and it's something she's, like, people still talk about to this day. But I guess she talks about, like, the apartment in general. So that was I really attribute that Cribs moment to opening up this whole thing, now, which now, like, I'm obsessed with the Architectural Digest celebrity tours. Um, but I think it was really like Mariah's episode of Cribs that made people just crave that kind of content. Because up until her, there was a lot of Cribs of like, I don't know, people's shitty houses. You know, like it wasn't always big celebrities <laughs> like her. Right. It was like people that were on MTV shows and they lived in like a McMansion in like the hills somewhere in like Encino. There's, um, one, there's one where like Willa Ford is showing us her, her bra collection and like... <laughs> 
or there was like, I remember the dream house, which was, I don't know if it was all their houses or I don't know. Um, dream, like dream, like the, like he loves me. He loves you now. That's exactly the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Danny, I feel like you or I could be on cribs if they were on cribs. So I wish. Um, I wish I love a celebrity home though. And I feel like they're popular now and it's, I attribute it to Mariah. Yeah, she, she's she did she's she's been ahead of the curve for a lot of things. She was the first to put uh, a rapper on a pop song, and she was the first to open her home to a uh, an all exclu- an all all exclusive tour. What would you call that? Yeah, it's exclusive. But she's exclusive. she's been ahead of the curve her whole life. Also, I think because she's such an entertainer, she the moments she gave us in that Cribs episode within it of the the bathtub or the or on the heels on the um she's in heels on the stepper. On the stepper, yeah. In so, the leotard. So good. So, so good. <laughs> uh, so she talks about the glitter era and she says, um, it warmed my heart that she has a different perspective on the glitter era now because I do feel like for years she really had such horrible memories attached to it. And it feels like within the past couple of years with the there was a Justice for Glitter campaign that there was. We, I believe we were a part of. <laughs> 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 I'm attributing it to us. We it may have started it. Right. <laughs> but it's, I'm happy that she has a good point of view for it now. Yeah. And honestly, like Glitter's a great album. Like oh, objectively amazing. speaking, it's a really, really good album. And I feel like it got, um, I mean, obviously it was released on September 11th. Like it did not have a lot. Uh, it was up against a lot, but uh, it's always, it's remained a, uh, playable album from start to finish for me for, for a long time. Um, like last, she covered last night of DJ saved my life. Like that's uh, great in and of itself. The Didn't whole album. Turn you on like hits. If we, which is the song that she sang back and forth with Ja Rule, which is the other thing they stole from her and rushed out the I'm real remix where the other girl and Ja Rule sang back and forth to each other. Um, the other so girl. That's where that idea came from. Viewers and listeners. Listeners. You know, your history. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, the, the glitter album, I think is phenomenal. And I also think it was an eighties vibe when people maybe weren't ready to like revisit the eighties quite yet. Yeah, because it was, I mean, what year was that? Was that, it was 2001. 2001. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know. I had to remember that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if people were quite ready for it, but also glitter is like a fun, silly movie too. Like it, it's it not is. like, yeah, it's not like, um, you know, uh, Oscar. I mean, the transition from of her like little girl her in the back of the car and then it like fades into like her on the screen at the club dancing to lime like that's an iconic moment also padma lakshmi in it, and i love her yep she's love so her. i know i'm um i'm newly obsessed with top chef i think i i don't know if i told you this but i'm newly binging it throughout this year of quarantine <laughs> you finally made it to top chef on the list I, of shows you yeah watched. like i always put like, it, give it a shot always put it off. And then now I'm like obsessed with her and Gail and Tom Colicchio. Like they're my favorite. Um, so she also discusses during the breakdown, the glitter breakdown period, um, the role that her brother and her mother played. And I'm curious to, I hope we get answers to this as to whether or not Pat, her mom reads the book and how she feels about it, because I'm curious I'm curious about it. I actually saw when she did her holiday special for ABC, I don't know, it was five or how many years ago for her second holiday album. I was there and Patricia performed with her. Oh, yeah. come all you faithful. And they seemed to have a good rapport. Her mom, Patricia seemed very nervous. I remember they had to record it two or three times because 
uh, when Patricia would come on to sing her part, the audience would start clapping. And Mariah had to come out and say, like, if you could not clap for her part, she's an opera singer. And so it throws opera singers off or something. She had to say something like that. It throws mm-hmm. opera singers off when you clap because they're not used to the clapping or or something along those lines. But it seemed like in between takes and stuff that they, they were pretty good, like that motherly relationship. And so I always thought that it was sort of overblown, um, the tales we've heard about Patricia. And then reading the book, I'm like, oh, no, this is a very complex, layered relationship these two have. Very. But, I mean, if you notice, she dedicated the book to her. Um, oh, I didn't even so, think about that. Yeah. So I, I think it's one of those, like, and, and she almost, like, like deified her father in, in contrast to her mother. And I think like maybe if one day when her mother passes, like she'll have a different perspective on it. She did say like death makes you change your, or forget, makes, moves your heart to forgive or something like that. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm happy for her that she was able to move past whatever had, whatever happened in like 2001 and whatever went on through the nineties. Um, it seemed like there was a lot of jealousy on her mother's part. And I think that that had a negative effect on her. So I was, I'm happy to see, I was happy to see Pat be on that, on the Merry Christmas to you and do that with her. And um, I, I, it seems like they're, they've gotten to a, a better place now, but I think it, she still felt like it was important for her to write about and to put down on paper somewhere as part of her story, her official story. The relationship with her dad was very fraught too. And remind, it seems so cinematic to me. I was reading that chapter about uh, when she was visiting her dad right before he passed. And just so many of those moments felt cinematic to me. And I thought, we're going to get a movie out of this hopefully one day, like, and it'll be good. <laughs> well, I mean, the book is is written like a movie. I mean, to have her start with her sad Christmases and to end on stage at Madison Square Garden with like all of the characters from the book in the audience like cheering for her, it was um, pretty cinematic. Reggie, did you hear my question on Watch What Happens Live about where are you Christmas? I did. And I'm so glad we finally got an answer after all, <laughs> all these years. Like forever. That's all I've wanted to know about where are you Christmas because she co-wrote it. And I'm like, does the version exist? And and people were messaging me like, oh, we need a, she has a new album out called The Rarities, which are rare album, um, or, or rare songs that haven't been released or, or different B-sides and things like that. Um, but people were saying we need a Christmas rarities album. And like, that's all I want now. I want right? it so all bad. The, all the uncovered gems from the Christmas sessions. Um, what, what's funny is you're that way with uh, the way you are with uh, where are you Christmas is the way I have been for years with the original lover boy. So I'm finally having like my justice moment. And I'm glad we both were able to, to get that together during this, <laughs> this promo cycle. I think you texted me when the album Tracklist was released about lover boy because oh, I don't think any of us expected that. I even when, she, even when she said the Rarities album was coming out, I don't think we expected to hear that. Right. Well, I was like, I know she's going to put like everything fades away and do you think of me on there? Like, like songs that like and slipping away and songs that we had heard all throughout the years. But I was honestly gagged when she came, when she put that on there, like that was a power move would have been the song of the summer of 2001. The world would have been different, but it's not. So um, we got it now in 2020. Look, the weather's getting warmer. 
You got to ditch the jackets, the sweaters, and you got to put on some shorts and tees. And if you're anything like me, you hate getting all the new stuff. But luckily, I've found Quince, and Quince makes it so easy uh, to get clothes. I used to waste my money on clothes that would only last one season. That was until I found out about Quince. Now I've got high-quality pieces that never go out of style that I'll be wearing year after year. Quince has all of the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos. Those are my personal favorite. I always love getting new polos for the summertime, and they have a fantastic selection. I'm very particular about the collar, and I love the collar on the performance polos that I got. They also have versatile flow-knit activewear, and the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And by partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes, which I love. Feel good about shopping with them. Now, again, I got those polos, but I also got some shorts, some t-shirts, just some basics that I can wear year-round. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to Quince.com slash iconic for free shipping on your order and 300 65 day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash iconic to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash iconic. Ah, I love that sound, don't you? And that's the sound you're going to hear when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Uh, We use it here at Everything Iconic. Shopify is the best all-in-one commerce platform capable of handling all your business complexity, no matter how big you grow. I think it's fantastic. You're probably thinking, sure, but migrating is going to be a headache, but Shopify's app store has the migration apps you need to migrate all of your products, your orders, your customers, and more uh, from every major e-commerce platform all the way to Shopify. And I always hate when I'm shopping online and I have to re-enter all of my information. Well, Shopify store remembers your shipping address, your payment information. So if you're on the couch and your wallet's on the kitchen counter, you don't have to get up, which is nice. So sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash everything iconic, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com slash everything iconic. Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash everything iconic. All right, I'm sure a lot of you out there can relate because every time there's a commercial break and I'm watching one of my shows, I'm always hopping on the Redfin app or website because I just want to check out real estate listings. Like I love checking out real estate listings, even for the houses that I cannot afford. It's my favorite app to use Redfin. Uh, I just got a home, of course, but it was a pretty stressful process. And if I would have known how easy Redfin was, I think it would have helped out a lot. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations. So finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. See something you like? Well, book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process, making it so easy. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents with a listing fee as low as 1%. Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards your next home. Now, that's a great thing. I love using Redfin. I love checking out. If you're buying or selling a home and you need some help with that, check out Redfin. Download the Redfin app to get started. Speaking of songs that uh, we're getting now, we also learned that she released a whole 
rock album or she she did a whole rock album uh, that was released with someone else on lead vocals that Mariah had written many of the songs, I believe. And she also did sort of background and I don't know, maybe you can yeah. explain, did she, did she actually record them? No, she did. So there is a version of her uh, singing them. I don't know if it's singing lead, singing lead, but it then was covered by this group. Um, I forget the name of the group, but it just like their album sales increased what, like 3000% or something last week when it came out that she wrote most of it. Um, And I guess she even named her vanity record label that Tommy gave her Crave after one of the songs that she wrote um, for the group. And over the years, she's mentioned this, that Crave was named after a secret song that she wrote that had a very special place in her heart. So to find out, it was actually like an alt-rock album that she wrote in her spare time while recording Daydream, like, blew my mind. It's crazy. I know. It's just an amazing little factoid. And we need those. I need to hear, like, the the versions with her on lead. I listened to a couple that were on YouTube of, they were sort of covers. And you, there's one, I forget the name of it, but you can hear her background or sort of layered vocals but um i would love to hear you know she i I really would love to hear all these different genres she's one of the people that i i do think is underrated in that way and that she can do very many a lot of different genres um she she has a country song that she did for that i believe it was tennessee movie Mm -hmm. that is stunning it's um but right to right to right to leave right to live I don't remember. I, I forget that. I've yeah. got a right to I forget what it's called. But it's yes. a beautiful, like a beautiful song. And, and of course we know she's done dance music, R and B pop. Um, I think she can do so many different things with her voice that she doesn't necessarily get credit for. And, and one of the only few people that come to mind that can also do that, I think is Kelly Clarkson, which I'm not, I, I love Kelly. I was going to say, I don't want to put Agreed. them in the same breath, but I do actually love them both. And but I love both their- vocalists who can do, who have versatile vocal styles that can lend their voices to many different um, styles of music. I think that's a nice way to put it. Right. Yeah. We love them both. <laughs> uh, okay. So she also references the New, Year- New Year's Eve debacle, but it's a very small little segment. Um, I thought I'd just read a little bit of what she said. So she said, Listen, if being in the cold can make fingers go numb, imagine what it can do to delicate vocal cords. There's a certain performance of mine in the bitter cold wearing a sheer bedazzled leotard and eight-inch Louboutins at the world's busiest intersection in intimate proximity to stinking putrid garbage that everyone wants, seems to want to remember and that I, quite honestly, often forget. To me, it's as if I was a child playing in the sandbox and I got sand in my eye, wet theatrically, and caused a scene. Then arrived 20 years later at my class reunion after having, uh, having gotten a PhD and become a celebrated scholar only to have my classmates ask, oh, but how's your eye? I was a lot of things in that fleeting moment in the cold, but I knew one thing I certainly was not. I was not broken, not even close. I had been through so much worse. All debacles are not created equal, darling. And to me, that was just so uh, indicative of so many things in Mariah's career that I feel like the general public seems to hold on to, despite the fact that she's had all of these other amazing accomplishments. She's such a, a fantastic writer, vocalist, but a lot of the general public seems to just hold on to those moments. And I guess that's a human nature a little bit to hold on to the bad and forget the good. Um, but it was yeah. interesting to me that she addressed it in that way, because that was such a hugely publicized, very recent moment. 
Yeah. And I, I would say like over the years, people have, who know me have obviously known my love for, for Mariah and whenever something goes wrong or whenever there's like a, like a public, like an embarrassing moment, um, they almost revel in like calling me to ask me if I know about it, which is weird. It's a weird thing. They do that um, to me too. It's annoying. I hate it. Right. They're like, did you see your girl? It's like, yeah. Like, have you ever had a bad day at work? I, I don't know what else to say. Like, she's, right. she's sold over 300 million records around the world. Like she's richer than you or I will ever be. Like, who gives a shit? Who cares? Like, what do you care? I don't know. I've never understood that like shot and Freud that's associated with all of her, her missteps over the years. I do that on my Instagram. I do a Jessica Thursday and people always say they want a Mariah Monday. And I just, I don't think I can handle it because oftentimes even with the Jessica one, it's like people write mean things and I can, ha- I love Jess, but like I can handle if they're a little critical of her, but like, I just can't handle people coming so feverishly to, to Mariah. Like it would just make me I so I can't mad. either. Yeah, same. <laughs> and, and I even like, I don't engage with people like that. Like people think they're going to rile me up by like being mean about her, but I just like don't. I don't know. I don't engage with it. I don't think it's like fun or like a, a productive use of, of anyone's time. Right. So Greggy, I want to talk about the things that weren't discussed in the book. Now I have a list of things that just sort of came up uh, <laughs> as I was thinking of it. I, okay. I know a lot of the press picked up on the fact that she doesn't talk about Eminem, uh, which I liked that she didn't yeah. talk. I didn't think she needed to talk about Eminem. It wasn't really, I, I don't think it was a big enough part of her life. And, and to me, it almost would ruin that joke that she, that, fantastic joke that she's done once or twice when people ask her about Eminem and she'll pick up a Godiva chocolate and say, no, it's Godiva. (laughs) (laughs) Or like when she was on, on watch what happens live. And he's like saying three nice things about Eminem. And she's like, they come in a bag. You can take them wherever you go. Sometimes they have peanuts in them. Like that's her. I love that. That's her go-to response for, for dealing with him. Um, She didn't really talk about a lot of her relationships and, um, that was interesting to me, but I guess like to her, they don't matter or they're not part of like her story, but I would have loved to have heard more about some of the, some of her longer term relationships that maybe people didn't know about. I think I would have liked to hear more about some of the professional relationships too, that she had with like songwriters and, and different people she worked with. I know she does talk a a bit about JD and of course we got that great Debrat story, but um, I think there were other collaborators I would have loved to uh, hear about. Uh, we also didn't hear anything about American Idol. Um, I don't even. <laughs> I was forgot that even, all about that. Wow. I, I know. I was just going to ask if you if there was even like a passing reference to it. And I don't think there was. No, there's not a lot from like the the mid teens through now. Like the it's Stella eras. Like, well, Stella's nowhere to be found. Right. Uh, <laughs> there's uh, nothing. But all about- of that is. Nothing about the e-reality show is not even mentioned. Mariah's world was the name nope. of it. She doesn't even mention recording memoirs of an imperfect angel or like anything having to do with that whole period of time. And I know that's when she got pregnant. So like, that's where she said that she turned down work and basically like stopped promoting the album and stuff. But it was it, it, like, and the way that she met Nick, like that all was very like, and then we met and then we got married and like, they didn't really go much into, she didn't go much into the divorce, probably out of respect for her kids. But like a lot of the, the, a lot of the things she's talked about, she dropped as easily as she talked about them. Like, and then it just didn't work out, <laughs> which was kind of a nice way to put a bow on it, but not, 
I didn't feel a lot of passion with the Nick Cannon stuff. Like I didn't, it didn't feel like I always thought they had a, a more passionate love affair than what I got from reading the portions about Nick. Yeah. Um, and like, I hesitate to, to say this, but there was like, I know that there was a guy that she was dating before she dated Nick, like sitting next to him at the Grammys, the year of emancipation. Like he was a guy that she dated for a long time. And, He's not brought up at all in the book. Wait, was so, this a fan? I don't know this. Was who he's, was it? He, he's like an A and R guy. Like, wasn't okay. like it was never a public relationship. They didn't walk red carpets together. Um, I just when I met her, I actually met him. He was with her every time that we like, met. So I like know that that was, was he nice. What was it like? He was fine. Like yeah. he seems like tired, but like <laughs> I don't know. Like <laughs> it was always the middle of the night <laughs> at like a restaurant, so of course he was tired. Um, but she. Like, like that whole, um, like there was no Benny Medina, there was no Stella, there was no E, there was no, none of the, I don't know, I think it would have told a more complete, it would have given us a more complete picture. It's almost like there are little vignettes from like 2003 on, like the stuff with Cameron was cute. Um, but I would have loved to have learned more, like heard more about like the tours and, and I don't know, all of the, the, the. I don't know. Yeah, that stuff is is what I was hoping for. I don't. I don't think we would ever get anything about Stella, though. I don't think she'll. We'll ever hear of her again. Stella was the manager for uh, the mo- one of the most recent managers who managed her during the time of Mariah's World on E. Just for people who are listening, and and yeah, a lot of lambs. We don't really look fondly on the Stella. No, we don't. All. Stella, no, we don't. Was there anything else aside from like sort of the recent stuff that you wish the book? Uh, that you thought the book maybe had missed or that you wish was included more or I, I was know. surprised I mean, at the Will Smith stuff. I, I just, yes, I, that, I don't know yeah. why I was like really interested in that. I like that they had a nice little friendship that seemed to have started when they were really young. And also it put them sort of both in perspective to me that they met when they were really young and had this, this work ethic and, and vision of their careers. And they both have realized it. I don't know something about that touch me yeah i liked hearing i i love because there's that famous picture of them at that concert they met at where she's in the high pony and stuff and i love that i they didn't really she didn't really indicate if they're still friends today i'm sure they are but like she doesn't really go into like where those relationships stand today which i would have loved to heard more about like i think stuff like that is really interesting lenny like hanging out with lenny kravitz on the upper west side uh, before he, when he was Romeo Blue or whatever he, he was going by then, like that's awesome to me. I would love to have heard more about her years in the city before she was signed. I know that it, she gave she went she gave us some like details about it, but I would have loved to have heard more about like the players, like the people that were in, like she was kind of moving the circle she was moving in and stuff like that. I wonder how tough it was. Uh, Michaela Angela Davis was the co-author. And I'm sure it was challenging trying to figure out the angle of this because her career is so vast. And I I just, they did a great job, but of course, because her career is so expansive, we, there's just a lot that of course they weren't able to include that, you know, I hope one day we'll get, we'll get, you know, I I also love a a sit down with Mariah where it's an extended interview because some of the Same. shorter, the shorter ones, you don't really get the details you want. Like I, I love watch what happens live, of course, but it's like something like that. You have to do games and it's, you have 20 minutes and it's just so fast. And I, I hope going forward now that Mariah's sort of released a lot of this information into the wild, 
that maybe she'll do more sit downs. Like the Oprah one was really great to me because it was a, a long period of time. There was no commercials too, which was great. Yeah, the Oprah one is great. And so is the one she did with uh, Genius when Caution came out. She did like a sit down interview with them and she talked all about like her songwriting process and like some of the songs that she even doesn't really go into in the memoir, like and how like her process, like how she wrote them and like the people she's collaborated with. It's a great interview. It's like an hour long, like find it if you haven't listened to it. Um, But I did want to say that like we're talking about all these like salacious bits of information that we wanted to know obviously but i i think a lot of that took a back seat to her focusing on like her experience as a biracial person mm. growing up and really not feeling like she had a place to fit in, in on either side of like in from the white side of her family or the black side of her family so i i noticed that that was the common theme running through a lot of the book is her how her experience as a child as a mixed race child like followed her throughout the early parts of her career, obviously with Tommy, like trying to whitewash her and then her embracing it as she was emancipated. Like I loved that. That was the common, the through line through the whole book. So compelling too. I mean, all of that stuff, it it was heavy, but it was written in a, a very wonderful way. I just, I thought it was all really great. There was so much, I mean, so much, I know we're missing some things. I'm looking at my notes. Like, what did we miss? Of course there was just so much, uh, and the colorism she experienced was happening at such a young age. And I think it really touched me because I was thinking of what it must be like to try to interpret all those things happening to you. And there was a story about kids at the school kind of bullying her. And I was just thinking how difficult it must have been for her at that age to process all of it, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine like not having, and she never told her father or her mother what she went through. So she didn't feel like she could, which is, which is, which was heart, the most heartbreaking part of her story to me is that she really for a long time only had herself to rely on. Uh, but the moment that I would most love to see on screen one day is her pulling up to that house in Southampton after she made it and getting out of that car and having this stupid bitch who was mean to her and locked her in that closet, like, I'm so happy for you. Like, fuck yourself. Like, I loved that part, and I want to see it recreated on the screen. Ah, yes. Do you think there's anyone that could play Mariah? Like, if... uh... Not yet. I think we won't have that. I think we don't even know who she is yet. She's somewhere, but she's too young at the moment. It'll be like a Zendaya, like, in 10 years. I mentioned some of the songs she wrote later about the Tommy era, and there was that one... Uh, she wrote about that dinner with Tommy um, and Puff in Shake It Off, uh, which was interesting to me, like the connection between those and all of the song connections, how we can trace like something that happened even very early on in her life to a song in her catalog. I think for Lambs, it was so exciting to to be able to kind of do that math. Like at certain times in the while I was reading the book, I was I felt like Russell Crowe in A Beautiful Mind, like just tracing everything. I'm like, oh, that's why she wrote that or. Right, that's where or that when lyric she, came from. Like when she said she wanted to cook breakfast for for Derek, and like found his sister, and she goes, "It was an eighth grade moment," and like she has a song called "Eighth Grade on Caution." Like, oh my god, egg. I didn't even think that. I didn't even right? see exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so with the release of this book, she also released this album called "The Rarities." It's got a lot of great tracks. We talked about "Lover Boy." I am personally really obsessed with "Cool on You" right now. Um, "Cool on You" is great. "Cool on You" is great. Mesmerized, yeah, mesmerized another one that is, i'm very 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 into i want to like 
be on a yacht going like this to it. And I'm for those listening, I'm just pumping my shoulders slightly. <laughs> Did you ever see that my mad signature dance move? <laughs> Did you ever see that mad TV sketch where they're it's they're parroting the MTV Icon Award for Whitney Houston and they have Pink, someone as Pink doing uh, a Whitney Houston song and she's dancing. Like, but she's doing like the worst dance moves. I have to send it to you. It's so funny. It's very dated, but it's hysterical. That's the dance move you were just doing. It was like that's my signature dance move. So I'm glad to know that. Um, that is a Mad a TV, Mad TV actor as Pink doing a Whitney Houston song. Got it. Uh, any rarities that you are missing? Like, I couldn't, I couldn't really think of many that I would still like to hear. Obviously, other than the rock album. And where are you Christmas? But um, the rock album, um, there's a song she did with Timbaland a few years ago called skydiving. There's like, it's on YouTube. Didn't she tweet about that? Didn't she just tweet like Timbaland? We need that or something. Yeah. That was a while ago, like before this whole uh, book was even coming out. She, I think she tweeted about it. Um, There's like versions of it on YouTube. Um, The other one was a song called panic the city or something like that, that, um, she tweeted about and a while back or Busta Rhymes tweeted about it and they were playing it in a nightclub somewhere and like you could hear it in the background. Um, would have loved to have heard that one too. But yeah. I'm sure we'll hear it again. We'll hear it at some point. Those vaults. I'm so interested. And all the artists, I'm always endlessly oh. fascinated. Like what's in the vault and like what, what great music is in the vault that like you just can't release because there's like legal business issues. Like what I need the mechanics of all of it with all of our, I want to know. Yeah. I know. I want to hear everything in there. Because I feel like with anyone, like you could think of Britney Spears or something, and it's like, I want to know. By the way, she had a respectful moment with Britney Spears where Andy on Watch What Happens Live was like asking her about Britney, and um, she just said she doesn't know the situation. But there's always been a nice little relationship between her and Britney. We've seen like photos of yeah. them out to dinner, and I, I would love to hear a conversation between the two of them. Uh, you know, I... I know I can't, I can't even begin to compute what that would, what would take place during that conversation, but I would love to be a fly on the wall. Uh, Greggy, I, that's all I have. Is there anything else you want to talk about that you, that we maybe missed? I know people are going to be writing me. Uh, you've, you've mentioned this on everything iconic before, but people are going to say, why didn't you ask Greggy what his favorite Mariah song is? So tell people. Oh, um, I, I breakdown. This is my favorite Mariah song. I just love everything about it. Can listen to it a million times in a row and never get tired of it. Um, that and outside is my other fave. But she sang it on the audiobook, which is crazy. I can't believe she she's never sung it live before. Like, I did nuts. I did the reading of the book and then I did the audio and it, it was a special experience. I don't I truly almost never like the audio. I know some people always say you have to listen to the audio for celebrity memoirs. And I, I truly don't normally like it, but this one was good. I liked when she would do the little ad libs and randomly break into song. It was like, it made it really special for the audiobook. I know it was the best part. I hated that she chose to sing some of the lyrics, but then would read other ones. Cause I really wanted her. Like I wanted to hear her sing like a whole fucking some of the concert. Stuff she, right. Basically. Yes. Just yeah. please sing acapella for me. Yes. It's interesting what people are doing. I mentioned Jessica Simpson, and when she did her audiobook, she released songs with the audiobook. And I think there's an interesting way to incorporate new art into the audiobooks, if if that makes any sense. And I'm fascinated by that. And I, I hope yeah. artists continue doing really putting effort into the audiobook instead of just straight reading because I think it makes a difference. And and I'm willing to buy both if they're if it's good, if it's for a reason. Agree. Agree. It's changed the game once again. 
Uh, Greggy, I want to let you go. Before I do, I want to say, I'm. if anyone's watching, I'm wearing a Queen Icon Legend t-shirt in honor of Mariah, and you could buy these at everythingiconic.store. Gotta promote the merch. Yeah, um, sell that merch, girl. And uh, you can find me on social media at Danny Pellegrino on Twitter and Instagram. Again, you can watch this and some of the interviews on YouTube, youtube.com slash Danny Pellegrino and the number one. Uh, Greggy, where can people find you? And do you have any other thoughts and and anything else? I have so many thoughts. I often share them on my Instagram (laughs) stories or my uh, Twitter feed. And they're both at Greggy Bennett. Uh, That's the only place you can find me. And that's the place you'll always be able to find me. So follow me. and. Give me your unsolicited opinions back. Well, Greggy, thank you so much. I love you. And I'm so happy. Everyone always wants you to come on. You have to come back for like a housewives thing. Cause I know everyone of course. loves to hear you talk about that. Anytime, so, Danny. I are you watching? You. Are you watching all the housewives right now? Or are you giving up on? So oh, Potomac. I'm all in on OC starts tonight. I don't know. I guess it's just Kelly Dodd is so gross. It's all, I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm excited for Salt Lake City. Me too. Me too. Can't wait. Okay, Greggy, I love you. Stay safe and um and good luck. I know you just moved, so I was gonna say good luck. I gotta go put mean? my bed together as <laughs> <laughs> right after we get home. <laughs> Thank you, Greggy. Thanks, Bye. Danny. love decorating the house and getting furniture, but sometimes it could be overwhelming to design a space. And so luckily I'm here to tell you about a company called Cozy. Now Cozy is fantastic, a North American company that thoughtfully designs furniture made for modern living. Now Cozy strives to provide the best furniture shopping experience with elegant, super high quality products, plus fast delivery and easy assembly, which is really important to me because I do not like putting together furniture. So the easier, the better for me. Now Cozy offers a beautiful, customizable sofas and sectionals that are made to adapt in time. This means customers can add seats to the sofas over time. Maybe if you're extending your family, you might want more space on the couch. Cozy also offers a great range of coffee tables, washable rugs, wall shelving, credenzas, TV stands, and accessories. So much. It's thoughtfully designed furniture made for modern living. There's an outdoor sofa and tables collection that is fantastic. It's called the Mistral. So you can choose the perfect sofa configuration for your outdoor setup. Uh, Cozy also opened its first retail space on Queen Street in Toronto to push the experience to the next level and allow customers to engage physically with the products. So transform your living space today with Cozy. Visit Cozy.com, spelled C-O-Z-E-Y, to start customizing your furniture today. Again, that's Cozy, C-O-Z-E-Y.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.